Nice. Good morning. Oh, that's great. Nice talking back to me. I love it. My name is Kyle. I am the pastor of community and care here at Redemption Flagstaff. So welcome. Your first time joining us. It's great to have you. Uh, thanks for dealing with a bit of awkwardness passing the basket. It's we were talking, how do we do that? Because last year doing it, it's just so weird for us because we don't often do it. And how we sit so spread, it's just like, uh, it's kind of weird, but we want to give and be generous. So thank you for just being awesome people and supporting us. Um, this morning, as we kind of talked, we are entering Advent. And last week, what happened, we took our Revelation series. So yes, we actually went through the entire book of Revelation pretty thematically. And it ended in Revelation 22, giving us this image and vision of a united heaven and earth, God reigning completely, restoring creation, people, all the heavenly realm and realities, whatever that is going to look like or means, it has come together, and that is the vision that we have. So coming and starting our, our first series on Advent I honestly couldn't imagine a better way to start than this image of a united and freed, redeemed, renewed, reconciled heaven and earth. And Advent, for those of us who are maybe newer to it or don't quite understand what it is, because we're like, oh, Christmas, Advent, like what's the difference? We buy presents or we do this or that. Advent literally or simply means it's celebrating the arrival of someone notable, someone important, someone significant. So when we think about Jesus and we have this vision of restoration, recreation, unity of their heaven and earth, Jesus literally initiated that when he came to earth. And through the cross, through his resurrection, he initiated this new kingdom, the new heaven, the new earth. So we're celebrating his arrival in this season. So it's really a fun season. And once we kind of understand that, and just so you know, as we enter Advent, we're trying to be specific and intentional with we do things. We've, in, last week we had the Advent wreath up. We light a candle each Sunday. If you notice the new things we have trees appearing and usually if you're normally you'd show up to church the day or the Sunday after Thanksgiving whenever that um, falls and it's like bam everything's decorated to the T's it's like perfect it's amazing you're like whoa this is so magical but by the time we get to Christmas we're like yeah we've seen these decorations so what we're trying to do is every Sunday in Advent we're adding to our decorations and it's building up to this climax to this celebration of Jesus's arrival so as you see new things just these are to like trigger our imaginations and tie us into the the biblical story so we can live into that and not just kind of read the scriptures or like Anthony says like sometimes liturgies can be uh, dead because we don't understand we just do that stuff so we're trying to be intentional as well as like the newsletter coming out every week focuses on things we can do for Advent what parts of Advent are what is the story of Christmas uh, talking about Saint Nick and trees and all that stuff and so yeah we're just trying to really celebrate this season so as we enter our series today, I get the privilege of kicking off our Advent series that is called Longing for Our Prophet, Our Priest, Our King. 
And this is what we're going to look at. So as we go through every Sunday in Advent, we're going to look at a couple things. One, we're going to look at how the people of God in ancient times, they longed for a prophet, they longed for a priest, and they longed for a king. And then some of us are probably like, yeah, but we don't actually think about that or long for any of those people today. But we're going to talk about how we as modern people, we actually long for prophets, priests, and kings. And then the third thing we'll talk about every Sunday is how Jesus is the perfect fulfillment as a prophet, a priest, and a king. So today, this first Sunday, we're going to look at what it means to long for a prophet. And then what is it uh, as we as modern people, who do we look to? Who are our modern day prophets? What are their messages? And we'll understand then how is Jesus the perfect prophet? So if you would just pray with me, pray for me, it's, I get like excited and nervous for preaching. It's not like my top thing where I'm like, I can't believe to be a pastor so I could just preach, but I do love to do it. It's like such an honor and privilege. So just pray with me as we pray for this and we pray for the Advent season. Um, Yeah, join me in prayer. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you have given us a place to come together on Sunday to be with other people, to celebrate you, Lord, to celebrate each other. Uh, Even today as we enter baptism, to celebrate people recognizing Jesus as the King, the Savior of the world, Lord God. And I just thank you that your spirit is present. It's with us, Lord God, in this season. And I just pray, just Pray for peace, Lord, that we would receive your peace in this season, a Christmas, an Advent. It can uh, be a beautiful, wonderful celebration. It can also be some of the hardest times of year for people. So we pray, Lord God, as we enter this season and this time that you would help us to love our neighbors, to love you, to love ourselves, Lord God, and and give us uh, a peace and a joy this season. Help us to understand what this season is about and why we celebrate and uh, renew it for us, Lord God. And we thank you that we can gather, that we can worship. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So for me, if I'm being completely honest, um, and my wife Jacqueline would attest to this, is Christmas over time, it has gradually degraded for me. It's like this time of year, it's coming. I'm like, everyone gets excited. She's like, I can't wait to decorate, watch Christmas movies. I'm like, oh man, what? I got to get the decorations out. Like there's so much work. I'm just like, man, I just, the season is not my favorite. And so over time, it's just disintegrated to not be very magical or special. And so I was thinking about this, and so inviting you to my life, I have, I remember this core memory. I'm like eight years old. Uh, we had like this upstairs loft that I used to sleep in, and I was coming down like super excited. It's probably like 6 a.m., you know, like as your kids, you're like, I can't wait for these presents or what's happening. So I'm like so excited, I'm coming down, it's super early, and I see this like bright pair of K2 skis. They're like green, they just like stand out. I'm like, oh my gosh, look at those. My first pair of skis, this is amazing. Like I had been skiing a few years at this point, always had to rent my stuff, so like having my own pairs of skis 
was just like, it was mind-blowing to me. As we're unwrapping gifts, opening stuff up, then I get like the, the combo pack. So I'm like, open up this like fresh pair of these bright lime green Nordic boots to go with these green skis. I'm like, yes, I've got it all. This is the most amazing gift ever. So great. After that Christmas, um, our family starts to disintegrate. Uh, mental health, uh, absent father, probably an affair. Um, all these contributed to our family breaking apart. And what, what the magic of Christmas and these like amazing mornings, these gifts, it became this like weird tug of war. It became so tumultuous in our family and for me as a kid. There was all this tug of war of like, do we go to mom's side? Do we go to dad's side? One of them was super wealthy. And so it's like whatever gift you want, it was like lavish. You'd have like everything you could ever want. The other parent was like very poor. And so it's like, but their problem, they just thought Christmas was based on like these extravagant gifts. So what led into like this atrocious credit card debt. And so it's just this really uncomfortable, hurtful kind of like awkwardness in our family that developed. So this like magical moment, this magical day and season became really uncomfortable and I hated it just of what it was doing to our family. And so from there on, it just, that's kind of where this decline came in because it was like, I just don't like what this has done to us and I don't see a purpose for it. So I just kind of became the Grinch and owned being a Scrooge. I was like, yeah, it's okay. Christmas kind of sucks, guys. Like, yeah, I don't like it. However, as I've thought about this and as we're preparing for Christmas this year and I became a Christian later in life, I was about 21 years old when I became a Christian. So I started thinking about like, what is going on here? And what happens is these magical moments that I'll call like our Christmas morning, these set these expectations. They set to shape a vision for our life that says, You're, you have a good life if this is what your Christmas looks like. If you have all these presents and you have these like brand names, you get this certain thing or these stuff, like these are my wish list, like that is one component having the perfect Christmas that makes your life the good life. And that, this is one of the stresses that we have as a culture of is where our pressure on Christmas comes is because we have this vision and expectation. So as we look and talk about prophets, this idea of the good life is really important because the good life, as what I would describe it as, is this ideal vision we have. It's these expectations that get set for us of, of what the perfect life, what it means to have a great life. And these expectations and visions, they're set by a lot of different things. Uh, it can be set by our childhood, by our parents, by our family. It can be set by uh, marketing campaigns, by advertisements, by movies, by celebrities. Um, expectations can be set by our spouses. Our, our faith sets our expectations. Our friends, even social media. These are just a few 
things, all that shape our vision for the good life or what we think the good life should be. Um, and these aren't necessarily bad things, but we have to recognize they influence us and they get expectations set for us. And so what I want to say about this is this isn't a modern phenomenon. It's not like, oh, because we're living in 2023 and we have technology and we have movies and we have screens all over the place that it starts to be this way. No, if we rewind back and we get into the biblical story and we look at the ancient people of God, we see that people always have had an expectation of the good life. They've always had their cultural expectations shaped to be like, if this is who you are and this is what you have or this is what you do, then you have the good life. And this is where the prophets come in. So it, what's really important when we talk about prophets is like, I don't know, I mean, I'm curious, feel free to raise your hand. Have you ever consulted a prophet in your life and been like, I need something, so I'm gonna go to the prophet? I don't see any hands. Maybe, yeah, that's fair. I didn't expect it. It's not a normal thing for us. So we need to do a little bit of work. However, so when we look at the Old Testament of, in the Bible, we look at ancient peoples, it was very common for them to seek out this person who is a prophet. And basically what, what they believed in is this idea, of, well, it's a Hebrew word. It's called chokmah. I'm probably not pronouncing it correct, so if you speak Hebrew, feel free to correct me, but chokmah is this idea that God being the creator infused creation with not just himself, but because he's the creator, he's also an attribute of him is wisdom. So him being creator and part of creation, his wisdom exists and is intertwined with creation. So it's part of all the things we do. It's part of who we are. Um, and so a prophet was known to have some connection with God or other gods. It didn't have to be the, the Hebrew God. It could be any, any type of God. So these prophets had connections with God. And so they would understand and try to like basically extract this wisdom from God and from creation itself. And when they would do that, they would live a, a certain life, do certain things, and then people would come to them and be like, you have the wisdom to live according to the way of God or the way of your God. Please give me this wisdom so then I can live this way. I can be blessed. I can have the good life. And so what this relationship was, was the prophets basically had the answers for people to live the good life. And people would come to them and they would usually pay them. They would give them an offering, a gift and be like, this is what I have for you. Tell me what God has for me because I want this. So I'm going to talk through a story in the Bible this is from 1 Kings 22, Old Testament. Um, I'm not going to read it because it kind of encompasses a lot of chapters, so I'm going to narratively tell the story this morning. But it's 1 Kings 22, one of my favorite passages when it comes to this idea of prophets, understanding them. And what I also want to say is because these are humans, there's this corrupted piece to being a prophet, and there's the expectations that are set isn't always great. 
So a little context, 1 Kings 22, we're in this period of time when God established his people on the earth and then they kind of rejected God's ways, weren't found to be faithful obeying him. So this kingdom is split. So all God's people, there's 12 tribes, they split and they're like divisive and they're always at war, stuff is happening. And so this moment in First Kings, actually, the two major kings and leaders of the different sides or tribes of Israel are actually kind of in this loose alliance. So they've come together and they're like, okay, we're figuring this out. We kind of need to partner back up. So let's figure this out. And also then all the surrounding nations around them are starting to attack and come to war. They want to gain their land. So these two kings are like, Basically, we want authority, we want more power, we want more land, we want more riches, so we need to gang up together so we can beat all these other people and take their stuff. Um, so that's kind of where the, the not good side of these kings is playing out. So when we're talking about the good life, I want to point this out, is these kings' good life was to destroy these other people to take their stuff. So these are not great expectations or visions for these people to be living out of. So they're about to go to war. So what do they do? They call on the prophets. They literally gather hundreds of these so-called prophets and they're like, tell us what God has for us. Will we have victory? And it's like this wild scene of like, there's literally hundreds of men and women who are designated prophets gathering around these kings and celebrating, be like, you're going to have victory. And they're like doing, like one guy literally makes horns and he's like, you're going to gouge your enemies. You're going to be like a bull and take over. Like they're doing all these signs and stuff to be like, you have the victory. King Ahab, one of these kings, he says, isn't there a prophet in this land that isn't here? I've recognized someone's missing. This guy, Micaiah, he prophesies, but he never prophesies favorably. Why is he not here? So the king, he sends his messenger. He's like, can someone bring this prophet to us? So this poor messenger, he's got to go for the king to this prophet. And he gets to Micaiah and he says, the king is calling on you to prophesy for us. But just so you know, all the prophets have said we're going to have victory. We're going to win. So that, that's kind of like what you should be saying. And this prophet, his response is very noble. He says, I'll only say what God tells me to say. So then he's brought to the king. Messenger's probably like, yes, he's going to be favorable. So he comes to the king and he kind of says, and I imagine it's kind of in this way. He's like, you guys are going to win. Good job. Go for it. He, he says it a little differently in probably Hebrew, but he's like, yeah, good job. Go to war. The, the Lord has favor. And the king is like, wait, you never ever have prophesied or spoken my favor. Don't lie to me. Tell me what God has. And he pops off. He's like, don't do this. This is not what the Lord has for you. You are going to be destroyed. Your people are going to be scattered. This is not of the Lord. And he's like, all the prophets had said so. Put this man in jail. So he gets locked up, thrown in prison for being, a, well, what he thinks is faithful. So one guy versus hundreds. These two kings, they enter war and they're annihilated. They get destroyed. Their expectations and vision for the good life were falsely set 
When the wisdom of the Lord was offered to them, they denied it. They listened to these false prophets and they paid the price. This was a common thing in ancient Israel in the Bible is God made his wisdom available, but people chose not to listen to it. And the thing with the prophets of ancient people, and there's a couple things we really need to understand for this when we say the office, office of prophet. The first is like a true prophet who looked to what we would say is Yahweh, the Lord God, the creator. Their wisdom, they received it from him. And because they received that wisdom from God, they lived a certain life. They lived according to his wisdom. And so their life physically was different and it embodied a faith that they had. And it offered like a witness or testimony to people. So if they're like, hey, what does it look like to follow God? They're like, oh, look at how the prophet does it. Look at the things they do. That's a better representation of how to live life and what that means. So that's the first thing is they received the wisdom and they lived according to that as in it was a witness. The second thing is as we look to the Proverbs and as the Proverbs open up, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Or you could think about the word fear also as reverence or honor of like we honor the Lord and we know he's creator and his wisdom's available. So if that's our starting point, then we have a foundation built. So the prophets believed because they had feared the Lord, they submitted to him, they had reverence and worship him that they would gain wisdom from God through God. And so here, understanding that if God was the creator and gives wisdom, then God is the one who defines what is the good life. If we believe he's the creator and we are his creatures, then we must understand that he knows what it means for humans to flourish. And so that's the, also the truth of the prophets is they believe that if they true, because they were created by God, if they lived into him, then they would flourish and their expectations of the good life was reset according to God's way. However, the last thing with prophets that's really significant, and this is kind of as we look at this series, it's called longing for, waiting for, hoping for. They longed for this day that would come when the Lord would renew people's hearts. Because what they saw is they knew God had given laws and ways to live, but people kept rejecting that. They kept rejecting God and they kept refusing to live into this way. And so they longed for these promises of the day when the people would just be fully in living for God and be freed to be able to do that. So today, right now, each and every one of us in this room, we all have visions or we have expectations of what we think the good life should be. And we strive to live this out. The things we do, the education we get, the jobs we get, uh, the time we spend with family or not spend, the, the things we include in our life all contribute to the vision we're living for and what we think is the good life. And so, since we long for this good life, 
we also long for prophets. We long for people to tell us or help us to obtain the things we need in our lives to get this vision and make it reality. But we don't call them prophets. And their messages, we don't say, oh, give me your oracle, give me your prophetic word. No, but they exist. Prophets, we have modern prophets. And I want to give a few examples. And I want to preface this a little bit as um, there are good things intertwined. Like sometimes when we're like teaching, talking about this stuff, it's an example. And it's like, as we look at these prophets and people and their messages, some of it's good stuff. It's not bad, but it's like, if we allow these parts of our culture or these people to be the primary voices that shape us and form us and that we listen to mostly, this is where we start getting into this like false ideas, false expectations. But what happens as Christians is we have to stand and be like, all right, Lord, we come to you, but we realize all these other things influence and shape us. And that's okay, but we just have to accept like, these people will shape us and they do have specific messages. So as I kind of read through this, I just wanted to say that because what I'm giving here is showing like, if you give yourself fully to this, it's going to lead you astray and it's going to not be, they're like half truths in that sense. So the first prophet I have for you and welcome to Christmas series. It's going to be super fun here is politicians you know, what's their message? As a politician, if you give me your authority, if you give me your power, I will create the laws that will bring you the good life. My policies, my agendas, they are what is needed for the good life. Vote for me. Scholars, listen to me. I have more knowledge than most. I can give you more knowledge that will let you live the good life. You're missing out because you need to learn more. Come to me, gain more knowledge, and your life will be good. Advertisers, marketers, look at what we have for you. You need this thing. You need to do this to have this good life. You know, you're missing out on this good life because you don't have what we're offering. We have what you need. You must get it. Come to us. Buy it from us. Talking heads. Our side is the right way. You don't have the good life because people over here, this is the bad side. Our side over here, what we believe in, what we follow, this is the truth. They're the problem over here. So if you follow us, if you believe and you do what we say, your life will be good. Influencers, they don't even need to see, say anything. Their message is, look at me. Watch my videos, view my posts, make sure you're following me on everything then if you buy these products that I use, if you travel where I travel, if you dress like I dress, you will have the good life. Celebrities, watch my movie, listen to my songs, read my books. If you go to my concert, I have fame and fortune 
this has given me the good life. You can partake with me. Come and listen to me. Sing my songs. Quote my movies. And you'll have part of the good life. You see, our entire culture, including us, we long for prophets. We long for people that can help us live the good life. And we are surrounded by these messages. And this is what I want to say, though, is when we give in and we listen to these messages and we actually receive those as like, this is going to get me to the next place, we're left dissatisfied. We're left wanting more. So then we come back and we're like, okay, if I do this again, if I buy this other thing, if I go to this place, oh, I'll be satisfied and fulfilled. You do that? And then the cycle repeats. You're left longing. They don't, their messages are these half-truths. Part of it is good. Some of it is actually helpful and it enriches our life, but it doesn't, it doesn't actually give us the satisfaction, the fullness we need. So we're left, we're longing for something more. These messages, they don't lead us to flourishing. They cause a response, but it doesn't cause us to flourish. Our cultural narrative, it has captivated our minds and it drives us to pursue these visions. So if we stop and as we enter and we start this Advent season, if we pause and truly, if we're honest with ourselves and we reflect on what is the good life, then we should turn to Jesus. Jesus being truly the Son of God. He came to earth. He was born. He ate. He drank. He used the restroom. He laughed. He cried. He did everything a normal human was, would do. He literally was fully human coming from God. It's like pretty wild to wrap your head around. But he literally lived fully human on earth. The biggest distinction when we look at Jesus and us is not the humanity piece, but when it comes to his vision and expectation of life, it was perfectly shaped and formed to be focused on God and what God had. I know when you see some of the, um, in the gospels, when he's tempted, he says, no, I'm fed off by, or my food, what drives me, what gives me strength in life is doing the will of my father. So I, when I know what God, my father wants and I do it and I live for him and I look to him and I focus on him and my whole life is given to my father God, this is what his literal vision of what the good life was. And it wasn't set by cultural expectations or by his friends or his family it was set purely by God, and he was able to live perfectly in this way. And so in doing that, what then happens is he becomes the perfect prophet because he understands who God is. He's sent from God. The Holy Spirit rests upon him. He lives perfectly into God's will. So he lives in this perfect harmony. So his wisdom is far beyond anything else we could imagine. So when people come to him, they come to him and they're like, will you heal me? He heals them. They're restored. 
So they're physically restored. When people come to them, come to Jesus, he teaches them how to live. It restores their relationship. He's restoring relationally. He's restoring physically. As people sought Jesus out as a perfect prophet, he taught them how to pray, restoring their vision of the world through God, restoring them spiritually. So this season of Advent, let's celebrate the arrival of Jesus. Let's celebrate that we can come to Jesus as we are, and we can receive this wisdom from him. And this wisdom, Jesus, will satisfy our deepest longings if we're really true and honest with ourselves on what we're after and what we want. Jesus will respond in those ways and let us know and kind of lead us to understand a better expectation and vision for life. So for me, as this disdain and confusion of Christmas it stemmed from these unmet expectations and this childhood hurt. Today, this Christmas, this Advent series or season, I understand what is this, the reason for this season. So I look to Jesus. And not just I look to him and be like, oh, I read my Bible, but I literally look for Jesus. Like when I sit in our living room, there's a neighbor behind us that has these red and white lights. And what it reminds me of, and I was like, hey, the red just reminds me of Christ's blood. He literally bled when he was crucified. And that blood has cleansed my sin and I'm freed in Christ. The white and red, so the white bulbs I see, I'm like, wow. I just think about this Revelation series we went through and our, we're clothed in these white robes. So as I'm seeing these Christmas lights, I'm reminded of these components of Jesus and I'm looking for him. As I drive through the neighborhoods and I see these multicolored bulbs, I'm like, that reminds me of the rainbow God established to make a commitment that he will restore his people, renew his people. So as this Advent season comes, choosing to look for Jesus and look to Jesus is important. Christmas trees, as we light them up, as we decorate them, we're reminded that King Jesus, he's adorned and he's worthy to be celebrated. All these parts of Christmas and Advent, they're so culturally intertwined, and that's okay. But how can we bring Jesus into the center of that as our perfect prophet and let our celebrations with our family, our friends, our coworkers re-narrate how we celebrate and how we live our life? So Christmas now for me, it has gained so much more purpose and it becomes, and it is becoming more special again. So as Jesus is shaping my vision of reality and my expectations of the good life, they're changing. So no longer am I disillusioned, or I should say I'm less disillusioned. I'm still like, oh, these things are really cool. I wish I had this or I wish I had that. It's a hard thing, but um, I'm less disillusioned by these uh, expectations our culture sets. So instead, let's come to the perfect prophet, Jesus. Let him give us this wisdom. So Redemption Church, as we celebrate Advent, would we long for our perfect prophet? As you celebrate this season, would you ask yourself, 
What are you celebrating and why are you celebrating this? Redemption Church, would we take the time and put in the effort to understand what is our vision for the good life? What wisdom do we need to reshape that vision? Redemption Church, would we allow Jesus's wisdom to shape us into who God intended us to be? Would you pray with me? Lord God, we just thank you that you have given us your son Jesus to be an example, to be a witness, Lord, so we can look to understand of how do we be human? It is a weird thing to be a human. It's hard, Lord God. There's so much joy. There's so much pain. There's hurt. There's fun. We have friends, family, so much stuff going on, especially as we enter this Christmas season, Lord. We just pray that this season, God, you would help renew us. You would help reshape our minds, our hearts, our bodies to just know you more and to live into your kingdom more and more as witnesses. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for what you have for us this week, Lord, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.